You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. Read the tea leaves and try to figure out when the party's over, but it's not going to be over for a while. We are not in the in the in the fourth inning anymore. We're maybe in the fifth, and of course, it's likely we're going to go into extra innings now because of COVID and all of the extra juicing of uh, of debt that the world is is doing. Synchronized debasement of paper currencies. It's incredible. Thank you for tuning back into Mining Stock Education. I am your host, Bill Powers. Well, this has been a great week this past week uh, for the precious metals. Gold is nearing an all-time high. It even broke through $1,900 an ounce. And silver, it's good to put in perspective that in the last four months, silver has basically doubled in price since that mid-March low. So we're actually in somewhat of a parabolic move right now in the precious metals. And I invited mining entrepreneur Ross Beatty to come back on the show to share his perspective on these dramatic moves in the precious metals, as well as talk about some of the companies that he's involved in. So Ross, thank you for coming back on the show. I really appreciate your time. And as we're basically at about all-time highs again in gold, where do we go from here in your opinion? Well, Bill, when was it that I last spoke with you? Was it in March? I believe it was March, yes. Yeah, I mean, it was just the start of this crazy COVID season. And, uh, uh, you know, quite frankly, uh, I'm not the least bit surprised to see what's happened to gold and silver. Not at all. In fact, I think you'll probably remember I was very bullish in, in March. And I was bullish in January. And I was actually bullish a year ago. Gold and silver had great legs in January before anybody even heard the word COVID. COVID has poured gasoline on the fire. It has just simply exacerbated an already very bullish macro uh, outlook. So it's it's not a surprise to me that gold is where it is and silver is where it is. And I think it's just going to keep going. I mean, I don't know when it's going to end and when, how high it's going to go. Nobody knows that. But it, it would not be the least bit surprising to me to see it break through $2,000. And then just who knows? I mean, it's it's just... I think I said in March that in my whole career, I've never seen such powerful macro fundamentals, whether it's just the synchronized pouring of money into the system by every single government all over the world, uh, whether it's the, so, so by that, uh, that process, the debasement of all paper currencies, whether it's the nil interest rate environment, uh, which means there's no opportunity cost to hold gold, whether it's all of the uh, geopolitical craziness that's going on in the world, led by uh, dear Mr. Trump and his allies, uh, or the Chinese, um, or whether it's um, it's the weakness currently in the dollar and potential further weakness in the dollar, whether it's the re- return of inflation and people think inflation is going to come back. All of those things are bullish for gold. Uh, then you have supply side issues, which are also bullish for gold in two ways. Both productions declined a little bit and also exploration is down. And this has been down for years and it takes a lot longer these days to build new gold mines and new silver mines than it used to. It takes 15 to 20 years now to begin to be between discovery and, and, and production. Typically, there's exceptions. Some take 30 years, some take five or 10 years, but on average it's 15 to 20 years. 10 or 15 years ago, it was only, it was only say 10 years. So all of these are fundamentally bullish for precious metals. 
And that's why I remain bullish today. Ross, regarding silver and the silver to gold ratio, a lot of analysts look to that and say there needs to be a reversion to a historical mean, therefore silver will outperform. But I've actually interviewed some analysts for this show who said the silver to gold ratio is meaningless. How do you view the silver to gold ratio and its significance? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not terribly meaningful. Uh, you know, a lot of people used to trade the oil to gas ratio until that fell apart and totally disconnected uh, and, and it hasn't gone back. And so the, the truth is there isn't a lot uh, that's magical between that ratio, but there is something there. And I'll tell you why. Uh, gold and silver are both precious metals. They're both money. They both respond to the same kind of stimuli. People invest in them as money alternatives to paper, to stocks and bonds. And so in that sense, they are connected. Where they're disconnected, of course, is that silver is a broader metal. It's got far more uses than gold. It's got, it's in fact, silver is the most indispensable of all metals. It's used in more things than any other metal. Very few people know that. It's used in everything. Uh, and so you have to look in the silver equation to both the fundamentals for precious metals, i.e. gold, and those are robustly bullish today, but you also have to understand the industrial production of the world because industry uses about half or even more of the silver demanded every day. And so if you have a big change in a, in a powerful industrial consumer country like China between building infrastructure, which uses lots of silver, to building uh, consumer goods and services and that kind of thing, which uses less silver, well, that's a bearish fact if you have the world economic production base or, or uh, industrial production base collapse like we've seen in the COVID, that's bearish for, for silver. So you're going to see the silver or the gold to silver ratio, silver to gold ratio go up from what traditionally used to be sort of 55 to one. And it went over hundred to one, 110 to one. And, and that was because uh, industrial production was being crushed and silver got hurt for that. Whereas gold didn't get affected at all. In fact, gold benefited because the, the, the fundamentals for, for precious, for, for gold as, as money and, and were, uh, were paramount. And so it wasn't the least bit surprising to see the gold silver ratio, you know, change dramatically. And as long as that continues, that is to say, uh, there's, a mac there's a good macro environment for precious metals and not such a good macro environment for industrial production, you're going to see that ratio stay high. However, if all of this economic easing and, and liquidity and, 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 you know, a binge of debt from every country in the world, if this actually does have a response to return our economy to some semblance of what it used to be, you're going to see a lot of consumption of silver for industrial purposes, for digital products, for hot, for medical products, for, for uh, the biggest silver use today is in photovoltaic cells for solar energy. Uh, these are big, big markets. And so you're going to see a lot of restocking. And that's what's going on right now, I think, is that people think that we're going to get back to normal and you're going to have strong industrial production growth plus a strong macro environment for, for precious metals. Both of those are going to drive silver higher even proportionally than gold. And that's what's gone on for the last month or so. And the, net, the result of that is, is that silver gold ratio goes down. And today, what is it, 80 to 1 or 75 to 1? It's gone down from 110 or 120 to 1 at its top. Mm -hmm. So that's what's going on. What happens this fall is anybody's guess. I, if I was a betting man, I'd say, uh, the economy is not going to respond that much. We are going to still have uh, a year or two before we get back to some semblance of order. Uh, and, and, and that means that silver should 
somewhat underperformed gold, but silver should still be uh, a, a fabulous metal relative to all the other metals, which will be hurt even more. And so it's going to be in between. Now, if, now if, if, as I said, if, if the economy gets going again and people really uh, start, uh, start consuming like they used to, you're going to see silver on steroids. It's going to do much better than gold. So that's kind of a, uh, a couple of outlooks there for silver. On the supply side for silver, your company, Pan American, recently announced the suspension of two mines there in Peru due to uh, the testing positive of a worker with COVID. Do you expect a lot of um, supply crunch on the silver side potentially this year related to COVID? Yeah, there's going to be some, Bill. Uh, Pan American's situation itself is kind of immaterial. Uh, Pan American produces about 28 million ounces of silver a year. Those two mines together only produce about 4 million ounces. So they're, they're our sort of our least uh, important silver mines per se. They, they produce also a lot of other metals. But, uh, you know, I mean, heck, Pan American has 11 operations. And at the peak of the COVID uh, shutdown back in April, we only were running two mines, both of them in Canada. Every mine in Latin America was shut down. They've all come back now. Uh, and then we had to reclose those two mines in Peru. But that's a very short-term situation. We've just isolated everybody because we had some COVID cases and we just wanted to be super careful. But that's just a rounding error, really, for, for Pan American. Those will, be, those will be back up and running probably in a couple of weeks. A few years ago, I was a Tahoe shareholder, and your company purchased the Escobar mine there in Guatemala, which is just a world-class silver mine. Is there any update or any thoughts you might be able to share with the market regarding this project? Well, we're being very, very uh, careful and very thoughtful in how we approach uh, that situation. It was something that we inherited, of course. Um, we're just trying to do everything we can to do the right thing, to get our social license back, to satisfy the court in terms of consultation with the, with the Shinka people, the indigenous group in the area, uh, trying to convince them of the, both the economic case for opening, reopening the mine and the fact that we aren't proposing to violate anybody's rights or or in fact, quite the contrary, we're trying to improve the reduce economic condition. And I think that's really where, uh, where we're going right now. And we're being very methodical and uh, working very closely with the government and with, with other interested parties to, to, get, uh, to get that, that, that situation uh, back, in, uh, back in the same kind of good feeling and good order that, that, that Pan American has distinguished itself for 20 years in, in achieving in Latin America, really mm -hmm. working with communities, with workers, win-win situations. And, uh, and we've been very successful at that. At Equinox Gold, you have a pipeline of projects internally that you're going to bring online to increase your future production. But when it comes to acquisitions, um, is it right for investors looking at the company to think perhaps we, they won't see as many acquisitions with Equinox, but if there is growth from without, it would be more of the merger of peers like what you did with Leah Gold? You know, uh, Bill, Equinox has grown from mergers and acquisitions. That's, I had a, don't forget, the company's only two and a half years old. We started at the very beginning of 2018. We started with a development play that came from merging uh, Trek and uh, Newcastle and Anfield, and that's what started Equinox Gold in the first place. Then we, uh, then we bought a mine from, from New Gold at the end of 2018, a mine in, in California, we built and now operate another mine in Brazil in 2019. At the end of 2019, we announced the acquisition of the merger with Leo Gold, which brought four new mines, one in Mexico, three in Brazil, to us. And so, uh, you know, we produced 25,000 ounces in 2018, 200,000 ounces in 2019, and we're on target for producing 600,000 ounces this year and potentially as much as a million ounces by late 2021. There's no gold company on the planet with that kind of growth record. It's spectacular. 
and we have a lot of internal growth. We have four growth projects. We're trying to, we're going to finish building a mine in California called Castle Mountain. We have a doubling or a tripling, I should say, of that mine as phase two. We have a big expansion going on in Mexico right now in Los Filos. We have a new mine we're going to build in Brazil called Santa Luz. So we're just full of internal growth to get us to that million ounce a year gold production. And, and we have all the cash we need. We don't need to finance to do all that. And we're working hard on achieving that outcome. So, you know, we do sort of, we've sort of done one deal a year for the last couple of years, and they've both been really good deals, very synergistic, very creative. And um, those kind of deals are hard to come by. So, you know, we're looking at lots of stuff and we always will look at lots of stuff, but we are hard pressed to find value today. It's just one of the things that happens when the gold price runs and you have a bull market like you've got now. Investors are rewarding these companies, they're bidding their value up, and it's much more difficult to find value, for me at least, uh, in today's kind of market. So never say never, but um, it's definitely, we have lots of internal growth. We don't need any new acquisitions. Um, I am still trying to build even a bigger company though, because investors really reward scale these days. They reward liquidity, they reward diversity, they reward uh, de-risking of a company's sustainability, making it a much bigger, stronger, longer lasting company with fewer risks. This is, this is where the market rewards, uh, rewards companies and, and, and increases their, their multiple, increases their price to uh, earnings, price to net asset value, those sort of metrics. So, you know, we could get bigger, and if we can see a, a really good deal, we, we probably will will have a look at it. But uh, definitely, we're not uh, we're not specifically focused on that. It's just going to be something that if if it really looks good, then we'll maybe make it happen. But if it doesn't, we're not going to just buy something for the sake of getting bigger. How has uh, the COVID crisis hurt potential M and A and business development in the sector? Could you speak to that, please? Yeah, it's it's hurt it because you can't really do good due diligence if you can't visit a visit uh, the site you're looking at and. And that works on both sides. So it's definitely making it more difficult. And, and that's why you haven't seen too many deals done. Uh, there's lots of people looking, uh, lots of data rooms that are open and, and digital reviews happening, but nothing, nothing substitutes for uh, an in-person examination of a mine or an opportunity, a development opportunity. You, you see things you don't see in, in, a, in a computer. You see things, you talk to people, you smell the, What's, you know, what's the water situation, the social situation, the environmental situation? Uh, what are the real risks? And, and you get that in a site visit that you cannot get on, on paper. So that's really the biggest difficulty right now in, in, in slowing down the deal flow that, uh, that typically happens out of COVID. That's the biggest negative from, from COVID right now. Many producers like Equinox and others are nearing and hitting on a day-by-day basis, it seems, multi-year highs, but some of the developers are lagging behind. Uh, two developers slash explorers that you're a 20% owner of are Lumina Gold and Luminex Resources, whom I also work with and are sponsors of this show. Can you give us an update? What do you expect now that gold is starting to take off? What should investors expect from these companies? Well, Bill, uh, you know, I have to say, and, and this comes, it sounds highly biased. And of course, I, I wouldn't be surprised if people smell, uh, smell a big conflict here in me saying this, but, but really, I don't know of any other company in the business, in the gold business, development stage company in the gold business that is as cheap and as fundamentally good value as Lumina Gold. Lumina Gold has just put out a preliminary economic assessment 
that shows a resource of a resource of 17 million ounces of gold in Ecuador. Uh, net present value of well over $2 billion at, at uh, not even at today's gold price, but it, I forget if it's $1,600 or $1,700 gold. Uh, it, it produces, it's going to produce 350 or 370,000 ounces a year for over 20 years. Those sort of things are rare as hen's teeth. Lumen owns it 100%. There's no royalties on the property. I mean, it's just crazy. The stock's trading for 280 million Canadian. It should be double that. Uh, so it's just cheap as borscht. And I, and I think it's a wonderful value proposition that I can tout without any embarrassment. It's, it's just a great value play. And I hope that most of your listeners are owners. Uh, if, they not, if they're not, they should be. Luminex is a different story because Luminex is a spin-out from Lumina Gold. And it contains all sorts of exploration properties that have potential value, but not as quantifiable as Lumina Gold. So Lumina Gold has this single asset. It's done a lot, huge amount of work on it, ton of drilling. It's got the resource. It's, got, it's been de-risked. And a lot of economic studies have gone on. Luminex is more of an exploration play. On the other hand, Luminex is much cheaper. So it's, again, a pretty good value proposition because there are not one or two or three, but there's four or five the different property positions in Luminex, any one of which sort of justifies today's market cap. And taken together, it's just a wonderful speculative value proposition. Uh, there's a gold deposit that the company itself is drilling called the Camp Zone. And it could be a really, really valuable deposit on, in its own right. It has two joint ventures, one with uh, BHP and another one with Anglo-American, which are really interesting copper gold porphyries that, again, uh, could have huge value once the companies get uh, drilling on them and moving the advancing them and, and, and testing the, the, the ground that, uh, that, Luminex, that Luminex holds with, uh, with some drilling activity. So there's a lot of things going on in Luminex, a lot of things that could give it a double or a triple, and, uh, and yet it's much more speculative than, than Lumina Gold, but it's much cheaper. But it so, still has a five you know, million ounce resource, right? It, it has a five million ounce resource as well, for sure. Um, just not as quantifiable in terms of value as, say, Lumina Gold. Mm -hmm. and, and there's your, your value. So both of them are great value propositions. I think there's both solid, solid... Uh, that's for, for speculative investors. One more thing before we leave Luminex Ross, can you just talk a little bit about what it takes? Because we have two majors uh, with Luminex, uh, Anglo-American and BHP spending up to US $100 million on those projects. What does it take to convince majors like that to spend that amount of money on your projects? Oh, they have to see an opportunity that's meaningful to them. So today, BHP has... What's BHP's market cap? $100 billion? It's huge. It's the biggest mining company in the world. Uh, Anglo-American, this market cap is, I don't know what it is, 40, 50 billion. You know, so for that company to, to have something meaningful uh, in any exploration property in the world, it has to be very large. So what they see on our properties is very large opportunities. Now they're early stage, so they have to go and drill them and they have to test them. But if they're big enough for Anglo-American or big enough for BHP Billet. And believe me, the minority stake that Lumina, Luminex has will be extremely valuable. And a lot of the high-risk expirations being covered by these large companies, basically they're free options for Luminex shareholders. And, you know, if you look, talk to any technical person about the potential 
in both of those property packages, he'll say, just based on the data that's available to the public, these opportunities are fabulous. A year ago when we spoke at the Sprott Natural Resource Symposium, you were about a 20% shareholder of Osino Resources and you shared your initial thoughts towards this project before the company released some great drill results. I think the share price was about Canadian 35 cents. At that time, we've seen it hit recently $1.40 Canadian. Uh, could you share your updated thoughts regarding Osino Resources at this point? Sure, Bill. I mean, for me, um, when I invest in companies, it's often because I really like the jockey. I like the person at the helm. And, and Osino was an absolutely classic case of that. I met Haya Don, the CEO and, and founder. I met Haya in Ecuador when we were combining Lumina Gold and another company that he was, he was CEO of. And I really liked him. I think he's honest. He's smart. He's competent. He's got his feet in the ground. He's just a really good guy. And, I, and he said, well, Ross, I'm going to start a new company based on a gold play in Namibia, where, I, where I, uh, I have a lot of background. And I said, sounds good. How much do you need? He said, X dollars. I said, I'm more than happy to back you, and I'll end up being 25 or 30% shareholder. And uh, I, it was truly uh, based on absolute faith and, and judgment of one person. But look what's happened. He's built a company around that. That was a few years ago when I started that, just as a punt. And, uh, and he's turned it into a very exciting company now. And I'm really proud of him and excited. I don't really know too much about what he's got at Namibia. I mean, I read all the stuff that he puts out in, in news releases. But I would say, you know, it's been a classic case of, uh, of you bet on the jockey and, uh, and they deliver more times than not. So, so that's really my, my association with Haya, and I'm so proud and pleased with what he's done. Regarding future investments, is there anything you can share with the investors listening about where you're looking beyond the companies we've talked about to potentially make some money in the junior resources? You know, Bill, I've really got my head down right now. I'm, I'm really working hard to, uh, to uh, build Equinox Gold into a really huge, uh, long-lasting gold-focused company in the Americas. So far, so good. Uh, it's been, been a great run. I'm also helping uh, the management at Pan American Silver uh, navigate this, this the crisis right now and, and make sure they stay as the world's preeminent silver mining company. There's lots of work to do in Ecuador. There's work to do in Argentina for, for them to, to increase their silver production, not only you know 10 or 20%, but as, as much as 200%. So Pan American has this giant options uh, to, to increase its silver production. And it's, and it's really executing that that is the main focus for the company uh equinox gold i've talked about lumina gold i've talked about luminex i've talked about those are my main plays i've also got a renewable energy business bill you probably don't have too much interest in that but it's a really nice company interjects uh, renewable energy it's a montreal-based company traded on the Canadian uh, toronto stock exchange and i'm really excited about that because I'm, I'm i'm really trying to help the world get off of fossil fuel energy and more clean energy it's really important for us and uh, I'm trying to encourage all the mining companies to go uh, renewable as much as they can. And so I'm doing all that stuff and mm -hmm. it's been a, a great run and I'm not really investing in very many other companies, you know, occasionally now and then I'll, I'll follow up my investment. Like we'll see in a way if Zena raises, you know, X dollars, I'm usually there for my proportionate uh, stake. Ross, a year ago when we spoke at the Sprott conference, uh, your parting words I remember were don't sell your gold stocks too early because of your positive expectation for this bull market. What final advice would you like to leave us? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's often a mistake that a lot of people make. They, they're in a bear market. It's, you've had all these, you know, no market is straight up or straight down. So bear markets have these agonizing, agonizing year after year downtrends. 
And every so often you'll get an uptrend that the stock might go up 10 or 15%. And, and people tend to get in the habit of selling and being more traders. So they trade when it goes up, they sell, then it goes down, then they buy a little more, it goes, it goes down further, then it goes up a little bit, they sell, and it goes down further. So it's a good trade for a while. And then all of a sudden there's a sea change. There's a cyclical bottom and a cyclical uptrend. Well, we hit that in, 19, in 2016, in January 2016, when gold bottomed at 1050, and it started an uphill trend. It was in an uptrend before COVID came along. So it was, you know, it had been going on for, for three and a half, almost four years uh, in an uptrend. And that's, that's you know, not the beginning of any bull market. I said, I think in January, to, to most uh, people I talked to, that we were in a sort of the fourth inning of a, of a gold bull market. And, uh, and, and so in those cyclical upturns, the worst thing you can do is not realize that this is a, this is a secular change. This is a, this is a shift in, in a long-term trend. So uh, the worst thing you can do is trade that and sell out after the stocks have gone up sort of 50% off the bottom because it's the start of a run where most of these gold stocks, big companies, small companies, all companies leverage to gold or silver, they're going to go up 100% or 200% or 300%. A big cap stock like Pan American's already gone up 300% in this run since 2016. 300%, it's a $10 billion company now. That's a pretty nice move. So that really was the, 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 the advice I was giving people. Don't treat this as a trading situation. Treat it as a long-term trap. Mm -hmm. If you want to, if you really want to, because it's maybe good business, sell enough stock to take your original investment off the table and then it just leave the rest and enjoy the ride. It's a free ride at that point. Uh, have fun. Just, just read the tea leaves and try to figure out when the party's over. But it's not going to be over for a while. We are not in the, in, the, in the fourth inning anymore. We're maybe in the fifth. And of course, it's likely we're going to go into extra innings now because of COVID. And all of the extra juicing of, uh, of debt that the world is, is doing, synchronized debasement of paper currencies, it's incredible. And for 5,000 years, that's been going on when countries have, 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 have strife and trouble. And the beneficiary has always been gold. Gold keeps its value. Paper currencies lose value over time. It's just a fact of life. So this is what's happening now. Uh, and and it's, it, quite frankly, it's, it's likely to stick around for a few more years. So I would just say people, if they want, if they get nervous, take the money off the table and, and leave the rest and enjoy the ride. Well, Ross, I really appreciate uh, your mentorship through this interview and uh, taking the time to come on today's show. Thank you very much. My, my pleasure, Bill. Thanks for, uh, thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000 and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. 
I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really you could do really really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks, don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can, do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met, you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.